Go ahead and get your Bibles out or your, your devices. Book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 12 is where we're starting today. I did, did want to bring a little report from our Foursquare Leader Conference for the Northwest District. We were in Spokane um, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday this last week. Um, and many of our leaders from, from this congregation were able to go, and that was awesome. We had a dinner together on, on Friday night that was one for, the, one for the record books, I think. That was, that was an eventful evening. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. The speakers included our Foursquare president, Randy Remington, uh, assistant district supervisor, David Eddy, who was my personal favorite. That was my, my uh, high note for the conference. A pastor out of Wyoming, uh, Dan Makoka, and Foursquare General Supervisor Wendy Nalasco, and I know she was some of y'all's favorite. Um, she's a, she's a, uh, she's Cuban, right? Her parents are Cuban. She's Cuban American, and she is straight fire, straight fire. She took off her hoop rings, hoop ear rings, in order to do this speaking engagement because she knew it was going down. Sorry. It, it, I think, they, did they post those? Can you watch them now? Or was it live only? I hope so too, because that, that was worth, worth hearing. Really good stuff. Um, I, asked, I asked you to pray in my weekly email that, that we would receive the things that the Holy Spirit had for us at that conference. Sometimes it's easy to just go have a good time. Um, you know, rub elbows with people that you haven't seen in a while and, and come back. I've been going to these conferences for probably 15 years, um, most of them. And so I get, I get there and I see people I haven't seen since last year because that was the last time I see them. They pastor somewhere else or whatever. It was, a, it was a lot of fun, a lot of networking. Um, my favorite message was from David Eddy. Um, and he was talking about uh, that first part of Jeremiah 29 where he says, to the Israelites in Babylon, settle in, my friends. Build houses, uh, have babies, marry your kids off, uh, plant gardens, and, and be fruitful in this place, and pray for the city that you're in that it would be pros uh, prosperous, for as that city prospers, you will prosper. So that's what he was talking about. Um, Okay, I'm not going to preach that one. I, I, we got something else. We're going to go. Um, there were great worship times and spirit-led ministry, much like we had this morning. There were words of, of wisdom and knowledge and healing and, um, and direction from the Holy Spirit. Very good. The kids got bouncy houses and cotton candy, and my kids were there, so we're good. You know what I'm saying? Um, okay. Into Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Everybody ready? All right, three of you are ready. Okay, here we go. Verse 12. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. They were all with one accord on, or in Solomon's portico. Some translations read colonnade. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers uh, in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. 
to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that Peter, when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity around Jerusalem uh, were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits. They were all being healed. Boy, that's a wild statement. Verse 17. But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and they put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go, stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Lord, we're asking for your blessing as we study your word. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate things to our hearts? We're not coming to your word to to tell it what it says. We want the word to tell us what it says. We want to be instructed, corrected, and encouraged today. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title of today's message is Obedience at Daybreak. And by that title, you'll see where we're going with this and where the emphasis is. But so a little context for what's, what's happening in all this. Um, the last section, last week, we, we were studying the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Boy, that's a lovely story. Uh, and just just all kinds of all kinds of good times and vibes coming out of that story. Um, I hear you, Merrick. Um, if you are not familiar with that story, or if you missed last week, they died. Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit. They thought that in a in a powerful move of God, in in the midst of an awakening, people coming to put their faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit moving in power with miracles happening all over the place, they thought that they could just be dishonest and try and fool uh, people. Peter calls out their their mistake and says, "You're not lying to men; you're lying to God." And 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 they suddenly died. Like Peter didn't necess- he didn't touch him. There wasn't. It was just like, okay, Holy Spirit, <laughs> that was wild. Why, why, you know, what it did was it caused a, a a sincerity and a sober awareness of the presence of God to hit the whole community, not just the church, but people went, oh, this isn't just fun and games. This isn't just wild and exciting and a a great ride. This is God himself, God Almighty, creator God, here with us now, and there's a certain amount of respect that comes with that realization. You don't just mess around with God. So that that sober awareness filled the church and, and bolstered their faith and their boldness, for sure. And the community around them went, oh, okay, so, so, so we can't just, you know, we can't just dabble in this. We're not just going to go and see if maybe this is for us. It says here that, that um, oh, sorry, verse 12, I think. Verse 13, but none of the rest, nobody else dared to associate with them, even though they respected them. It says they held them in high esteem. 
They respected them, um, they, and they, they feared the God that was, that was with them, even though they maybe didn't connect it to the same God that they were serving, which, anyways, that's, that's another message for another time. So that's what's going on. This uh, passage, verses 12 through 16, kind of serves as a transition into the next statement and a summary of the previous section. As a result of this, here's what's going on, here's what's happening as we move into the next time. It sets the stage for the next thing, and that is there's lots of miracles happening, signs and wonders. The signs and wonders are for validating the gospel and backing up the name of Jesus, which they're speaking in, which is the main trouble that they keep getting into. By whose authority are you speaking? What are you doing? The signs and wonders are to validate the name of Jesus and the gospel which is being shared. The church was continuing to meet every day in the temple grounds. It says they were meeting under Solomon's colonnade or portico. It's on the south side of the temple grounds. Under, it's the, the one place it's covered. It's got giant, giant pillars and, and uh, there's a, a deck over top and lots of space, lots of room. It's a big area and it afforded the, some shade from the sun. They continued to meet every day, even though Peter and John had just been arrested and rebuked and and threatened and then released. uh, They continued to meet every day. They were not intimidated or dissuaded by authorities. Um, They had this momentum and this sincerity around what was going on. Many souls were being saved. It says men and women. Sometimes it just says men and you have to fill in the gaps because you know there were women, but the culture just kind of discounted the men. Aren't you glad we're nowadays, right? Everything's so modern and, and uh, women count for something now, right? I'm going to, on a side note, on a side note, I love how Jesus included the women and they are listed in his ministry. Okay, there we go. We're four square, y'all. Like, women are in ministry whether you like it or not. It's, uh, um, there were many healings, many deliverances um, happening all over the place. So many and so much so that, that uh, people from the surrounding areas, like all of Jerusalem was aware of this. And now it's leaking out. It's seeping out into the surrounding villages. And they're bringing, they're sick and they're oppressed and they're demon-possessed to the church, to the believers, uh, because this has never been done before. What's going on? Like, there's actually hope, there's healing, and many people are being added to the kingdom as they put their faith in Jesus. Peter is mentioned specifically as a high-profile guy in this. A lot of stuff's happening through him. That verse uh, 16 that says they were all healed is, I mentioned, that's a wild statement. There's a few times in scripture where, where there were seasons where, where they were all healed. There was one uh, passage where Jesus is healing and he healed them all. But we can, I mean, we know because there's still beggars and lame men in Jerusalem after Jesus is gone. So, you know, and he'd been, he'd been lame since birth, 40 something years ago, right? So, so we know that you know, maybe not everybody was there. I don't know. But it says they were all healed. Everybody that came for healing received healing. That's what was going on. That was the setting. That's what's happening in this place. That's the summary. And now our transition into the next 
part of the narrative here, the next piece that Luke, the writer of Acts, is bringing to us is this second imprisonment and then the supernatural release. Verse 17 says the high priests and Sadducees got upset again. Surprise. Um, not only at being defied, because what did they told? Uh, they told Peter and John what? That no more speaking in this name of Jesus. Sorry, my cable is messed up and it keeps making noise and that's going to be distracting, so I'm just going to adjust that. Okay, there we go. They were upset again. They told them, don't speak in the name of Jesus. They were trying to, to paint it as though it was another God. And there's severe, severe uh, consequences for, for speaking in the name of another God or drawing Jewish people away to another God. They wanted to paint him into a corner and get rid of him. And it didn't work. So they released him. But they're getting jealous because, man, this is a lot of attention going to the church. This is a lot, a, a lot of people are talking about what's going on with these Jesus followers. And, and this is way more than any other person who had claimed to be Messiah before, because that had been a regular occurrence. There was always somebody saying, oh yeah, I'm the Messiah. I'm going to deliver Israel. And then he died. And then, you know, the next guy, you know. But Jesus, well, he died, but then, <laughs> but then he didn't stay dead, that pesky guy. And he... So he rose from the dead, and now this is way bigger than they, than they ever imagined. It says they're filled with jealousy. I, this is a fascinating word because filled is the same word that, that we read in Acts chapter 2 when the apostles and everybody in the upper room were filled with the Spirit. That same uh, all-encompassing, completely filled, like, like a sponge soaking up water, completely filled. They were filled in that same way with jealousy. So, you know, the, the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit, and then, and then there comes the fruit of being filled with the Holy Spirit. There comes the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Your life begins to change and look a certain way. Flip that on its head, and they're filled with jealousy, and now we got the fruits of jealousy. And, and these were probably not super pleasant guys to be around at this point. They probably were ready to do some bad things. So while the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, you have the converse situation going on with the Sadducees. They're filled with jealousy and all of the fruit that that produces. And it says in verse 18 that they laid hands on them. Uh, again, I'll just differentiate between laying hands on for the praying uh, for healing and laying hands on to put you in jail. Slightly different scenario. Just the same words in English, okay? They were not up trying to heal the apostles. Note that this time it's all of the apostles. It's not just Peter and John. So the Sadducees are getting more bold, uh, maybe, maybe more desperate, definitely more aggravated. And they grabbed all of the apostles and they put them in jail. I can imagine Peter and John saying to the others as they're on their way off to the jail, hey guys, don't, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. Uh, this just happened to us a couple days ago. It's no biggie. They'll just hold us overnight, ask us some questions tomorrow, and then they'll threaten us and, and we'll go. No sweat. No, no big deal. This one ended up a little bit different, but 
God didn't change. So they put him in a, in a public jail this time, not in a holding uh, cell at the temple grounds. This is a public jail. The Sadducees are, are making some public statements. This was a PR move. Hey, you follow Jesus, you go this way, you'll end up in this prison. That's exciting, isn't it? You, nobody wants to go to prison, especially not a public prison. So they're visible, they're... they're uh, their notoriety is going up. They're in prison. This is bad. And they, and they took all of them. They took all the apostles. This move was meant to intimidate the new faith and those who were considering joining them. The high priests and the religious leadership were going very public with their opposition. It wasn't behind closed doors at all. And that meant that they were um, backing up their position with force. Uh, but we see in verse 19 that that doesn't really matter. Uh, the angel of the Lord is not deterred by your PR moves. And he busts them out, opens a gate in the middle of the night sometime. And um, we actually hear a little bit more about this later when it's discovered that they aren't there. In the next passage that we study, they send for the prisoners the next morning and they're not there. And the guards are standing there. You know, still, still posted, still there. The gates are locked securely and there's nobody in there. Uh, not a lot of explanation as to how this happened, except that it was supernatural. So <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, I, I want to hear the rest of that story someday. Um, very, it's a very short account, very little description. Luke, who is a meticulous uh, researcher and interviewer, he compiles Acts as a record for um, for somebody as he's writing about the church, writing about this movement of Jesus. And so many times he, he gives great detail and he's a doctor. He, he, he knows words. He's excellent with Greek. But this one's super short and very vague. And so my guess is that he interviewed as many of these people as possible and they all had various experiences. Kind of like uh, witnesses of an accident or something. Everybody sees from a different angle and experience something different, right? And the police are talking to everybody, getting different stories. They piece it together. I think this was such a supernatural move of God that, 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 that people just perceived things differently. And Luke was hearing the stories and going, well, I know it was God. That's about all I know. Okay, so they got out. They got out. And... Um, So we, we only know a couple things from, from this little portion right here. First is that God was definitely involved. And the second is, is this, that this now became not just uh, a PR problem for the Sadducees and the high priests. This became a PR nightmare. This was the ultimate backfire. Uh, they made a public spectacle of getting these guys in prison, and now the next morning, the same dudes are publicly out and released. They, people know that they don't meet at night. They couldn't make a decision and, and release them at night. It had to be the next morning. So there's just all this excitement and mystery going around, and the PR is going the wrong way for, for these guys. As the angel of the Lord releases them, it comes with specific directions. He says, go back to where you were, continue to do what you were doing. Don't change what you were doing because they're upset with you. 
Don't, don't minimize things. Don't water things down. Go back, teach. It says the whole message of life. The whole message. So what happens at daybreak, right about dawn, they're the first ones back in the temple. They're preaching. They're preaching again. They're speaking this name Jesus. They're telling his story. They're, they're showing how all of the scripture leading up to this point points to Jesus. And we see on display in this moment the boldness of the Holy Spirit. This was a continued answer to, a, to the prayer that we prayed just one chapter ago. When they were threatened, they didn't ask for protection, they asked for boldness. We also see the absence of fear of whatever men could do to them, obviously, because they're putting themselves right in harm's way at this point with people they already know are ticked at them. But they were full of boldness. So we're talking about obedience. Obedience at daybreak. Obedience first thing. In order to obey first, you need to hear. You need to hear an order or direction. Having young children, we talk about obedience a lot in my house. I'm going to be careful with my illustrations, but uh, they are plentiful. And my mom is here too, so (laughs) more plentiful. (laughs) Scripture says that upon hearing this instruction from the angel of the Lord, they immediately went. And they were there first thing in the morning. Upon hearing, right now. I say this to my kids from time to time, and I think it's an important element of this. What I say is, obedience is right now. Obedience is right now. If it's not right now, it's not obedience. Obedience, uh, you could say, is immediate. There is action that comes immediately when an instruction or order is given. Obedience is not usually easy or our natural first choice of action. Uh, If I'm telling my child to do a chore, it's because they're not doing it. Right? Right? And, and not that they're in trouble right away for not doing it, right? But, but it's not, it's, I don't just stumble across my children doing their chores very frequently. <laughs> wow. It, it does, it has happened. It has happened. Um, we're usually told to do something because we're not doing it. Um, maybe we didn't know. Maybe, you know, whatever. But we're, we're not doing it, so we're given the instruction We're going to do it now. If you were already doing it, you would not need the instruction. So it says, upon hearing. So the first thing about obedience in here was right now. Obedience right now. When you and I hear a word from God, when we receive direction, it's something that we're to do now. There's something we're supposed to do now. It's not something that you uh, think about and pray about for years and then maybe do something later. There are some things that you hold in prayer. Scripture talks about Mary pondering these things in her heart, 
right? See, and these things that were happening and going on around her, she ponders, she holds, she weighs. Sometimes God gives you a word um, or, or a vision for the future or, or a word of wisdom and, and you, you hold it for a minute and you weigh it. And you go, okay, is this, am I hearing right? Or, are we, or God, how are you gonna do this? What's going on? But our heart immediately moves to obey. Many times that requires action. You've got to move. The apostles were back in the temple first light. The second thing about this was it was the whole message of life. It was the entire thing. He said, don't leave anything out. Explain things. Go in depth. Repeat it. Make it clear. And not just the parts that won't offend people. It's easy to repeat Jesus loves you. It's a little bit harder to talk about how you've got to give your whole life to him. In these moments, as they're, as they're sharing Jesus, it's not just, they weren't just telling people, hey, Jesus was the Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's going to come back again someday. You should believe that and then leave it there. There was another step. And that was repent. Change the way you think about God. Give your life to him. Serve him. And you couldn't leave that part out. That was the part that ticked people off. That's the part that's hard to swallow. I don't want to repent. I like doing my thing. I want to do it my way. So it's offensive sometimes when you're given the whole message of life. The Western gospel has a reputation for being watered down at times. We water it down to the simple blessings of having Jesus in your life. We've got, we've got, I've got a whole bunch of things to say that kind of make fun of this, but, you know, Jesus is my co-pilot, and, and you know, come to Jesus, you'll never be lonely again, you'll, you know, he'll help you with your homework. Um, Jesus is not your co-pilot. Jesus is the pilot. And you're choosing to get on his plane, right? Okay, he, he's not getting in your car. You are giving him all the controls and he's deciding where you're going and how you're gonna get there. You give him complete control. But we tend to hear the, the parts that make us happy, the parts that attract us, right? We wanna attract people to Jesus, so we tell him the, the good things, you know, the, the easy things, the things that tickle the ears. And that's why Christianity is considered a crutch so many times. Because if you just come to Jesus for, for help and that he's going to do these things for you, that's only part of it. That's only part of it. The other part is repentance and surrender of your life. To let him use your life the way he sees fit. Sometimes we can leave out major components of that. And, and it would have been tempting for the apostles in that moment to leave out the offensive parts. I mean, they were already going to get in trouble for speaking in the name of Jesus anyway. But, but they could have just, you know, let up on, on the give your life to him and, and um, name him as your Lord. And maybe it would have been less offensive. But they were told... The whole thing, all of it. Don't water it down, don't change it. They were told to keep preaching the whole gospel, the real parts, the hard parts, the offensive parts, 
don't neuter the gospel. What good is the gospel if it's stripped of its power and its saving ability? Because is anybody actually saved if they don't yield their life and their will and submit to Jesus? Salvation comes through repentance and faith. Or faith and repentance. Sometimes it's different for different people. But those two must, must be there. You must believe he is who he said he is. You must decide to give your life to him and surrender and repentance. So if we just do one thing, then, it, then if we just believe that he is who he says he is and don't do anything about it, then, then that's not salvation. That's not what scripture says is salvation. So in the same way, what good is partial obedience? If you do something you're supposed to do, but don't but only do it part way and don't do the parts of it you don't like, is that obedience? I'm gonna go no on that one. Uh, I'll just fill in the gap for you there. That's, that's not obedience. Um, so back to chores. Um, growing up, my, my, we would rotate through chores and one of the chores that I would get you know, once, twice a week was the bathrooms. You clean in the bathrooms, and I'm the oldest of several children, and, and the oldest four were boys, and so, you know, bathrooms was just a crummy job, especially certain parts of the bathroom, right, right? So, would it be, would it, so my job, my job for the day, I'm told to do the bathrooms, and I clean the sinks, the mirrors, and, and wipe off the countertop, and call it good. No, see, that's not, that's not obedience. That's not obedience. So, so mom or dad have to come in and check, right? And they're like, you didn't touch the toilet, right? Like, that's almost the biggest thing in the main part of the bathroom. Like, you, that's the offensive part, right? That's a, right? Especially with, okay, especially with boys. Um, and in our house now that, the, the toilet isn't such a big deal. I have four girls. Um, but <laughs> she said it's still a big deal. <laughs> but the shower, now the, see, now the shower's the problem, right? So, so that's got to be done. It's got to be done. And if you don't, it's, it's just not full obedience. It's not doing what you were told to do. And so just like you would get in trouble for not doing what you're told, doing it halfway is still not obedience and therefore is disobedience. Uh, okay, another, another story on this one with chores, right? I used, and my, as I got older, my responsibility was to mow the backyard. Uh, our yard had three levels and uh, the upper ones were the bigger ones, but, but lower was harder because it was on an incline. From the house, you would look out and see the upper ones, but not necessarily see a lot of the lower ones. Bill knows where I'm going with this already. So it was easy for me to, every once in a while, to mow the upper ones and forget about the lower ones. Forget about that third level, because you couldn't really see it from the house. You have to go down there and see it. 
Uh, never mind that next time you mow and you had to do that, it was a bear because it was double tall and thick and all that. But that would, that's not complete obedience, right? You didn't do the whole thing. You left out part. It's not complete. You didn't do it. So obey right away. Obedience is now. Uh, the whole message. You want to obey all the way. When you understand what God is asking you to do, you got to do it all the way. You do it part way, and it's not obedience. And the third thing I want to notice about their obedience in this case, all of the apostles, they were obedient. I noticed something that was missing in this obedience. There was no discussion. There was no conditions. They didn't say, okay, we'll do that if you promise to protect us. We'll, we'll obey if, um, if, if you keep us safe or if it's easy. If everybody likes us. They just did it. <laughs> there, was, there was no discussion. They, they were like, yes, sir, and went and did it right back out into danger, right in, into the, the jaws of the lion, so to speak. Or if you're from Florida, Tim, I know you're probably watching the jaws of the gator, okay, all right? Just... <laughs> they didn't say, we'll go back out there if you meet our conditions. Um, you got to promise nothing bad's going to happen to us. There was no questioning what might become of me. There was just straight obedience. They demonstrated that their life belonged to Jesus, not just their words. Uh, even, though, even though death was a likely outcome, quite possible in this situation, they were not deterred. And if Jesus told them to do something, they were going to do it. So upon hearing this, they entered the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Straight obedience. Now obedience. Complete obedience. And without conditions, obedience. So what is God asking us to do? I'm going to tweak that just a little bit and say, what is God asking you to do? Becky, can you come and... Play ever so gently behind the. Not not too good though, because I just won't quit, and then. Mm -hmm. What is God asking you to do? What are the instructions that God is giving you, or how about this? The instructions that God has given you, to obey, or that you have not yet obeyed. Many of our stories in life or our testimonies of following the Lord have to do with how we obey or disobey. Isn't that right? I heard the Lord, he called me, and I said no, and I ran. And finally, at the end of my rope, he called me again, and I said yes. You think of... You know, if we're going to talk about obedience too long, we're going to get into Jonah and all that. Boy, what an illustration that is. Many of us received a call to ministry at a certain time in, the, in your life. 
in your early years maybe. Um, who knows what kind of ministry, but you sensed that and, and then you grew discouraged and gave up on that call over time. And now maybe you feel like you've missed out on what God had for your life. Maybe it's not ministry in the full-time vocational sense of the word ministry, but something that you were supposed to be involved in, something that you were supposed to step out into to help in the cause of the kingdom and in the spread of the gospel. Remember, all of this is in the context of the move of God and the kingdom and people being saved, completing the mission that Jesus set out to do. And, and in that context, it's much less about how I feel about things and my personal uh, comfort level. When I'm asking my kid to clean the bathroom, I don't care if they like it. You know what I'm saying, right? Now, God is far more gracious than I am as a parent. But there is that aspect of it doesn't really matter. Like the, the, end, the end point is not you being happy about doing something. The end, the end goal of this is to accomplish the mission, to bring people to salvation. It's important to remember that that's the backdrop. That's the context. That's the reason for everything. Maybe God has asked you to be involved with youth or young people. Maybe it's the little kids. I'm not just talking about here at church. I'm talking about in general. What has God called you to do? What is he asking you to do? Maybe it's the kids in the local elementary or high school. Maybe it's professionals in a certain uh, specific field. I have a friend who, who's become a chaplain in the workplace in his office building because God told him to minister where he was. Maybe it's the homeless in your neighborhood. Maybe it's the struggling single moms or the young ladies in a position where they're forced to consider aborting their baby. It comes down to this. As a believer, you have been called to do something. You have been asked to give beyond your comfort zone and your life. You, you've been called actually to give your entire life. So God gets to decide what he's going to use you to do. And your job is to obey. Your job is to obey right now, all the way, and without conditions. Ooh. You don't just hear that in a message and then go, okay. Like that's, that's, that's a lifelong thing that, you, that we get to work on, learning to obey, learning to follow. But it is what we are called to do. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a disciple, that's what you're called to do. See, God released these apostles from the public prison not so that they could go home and take shelter. Not so that they could feel good about themselves and, and just you know marvel at God's grace and goodness in getting them out of that jail. He sent them right back out to the mission to teach the gospel in the temple. They could have gone home 
and just chilled and said, whew, that was stressful. (laughs) Thank you, God, for your goodness and your faithfulness. In the same way, you are not healed, saved, delivered, given eternal life so that you can live a comfortable life. You are called to struggle, to work hard. You're called to to grow and to change and be transformed to look like and live like Jesus and do what Jesus did. And I'm not talking about your beard. You have a mission to accomplish. Your life belongs to him now. You're on his airplane. So that's your mission now. We're running out of time but I want to take just a moment here and reflect. I've been talking a lot, but, but just, in, just be quiet for a second and think about maybe areas that God has spoken to you or is speaking to you and how you can obey. a loving and gracious master but we will be held accountable for whether or not we obeyed let's commit to learn to obey him right now all the way and without conditions Jesus deserves that from us Lord thank you for your word It's not always easy and comfortable and just encouraging, right, to to hear what you have to say. Sometimes it's corrective. But it's your word nonetheless, and we respond to you, Lord. Your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. You cut to the heart of the matter. You, You... Distinguish between attitudes and motives, truth and lies. You get to the heart of the matter. You, you deal with us at the very core of who we are. Lord, we would, we would learn to be obedient. We've got our patterns. We've got our hang-ups. We've got our weaknesses. And, and we're going to need your help, Holy Spirit, to, to do this. Would you reveal to us and show us in our heart and and make it part of our awareness the reality of who you are, the reality of who, who we are, and our appropriate response to that is complete submission and surrender to you and your will. Lord, help us to trust you and obey you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. As you go into this week, may you be full of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. May you hear what God is instructing you to do and then move quickly to obey. Amen.